Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Hey guys, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Melissa and I are here in studio today ready to talk about our part two episode of pacing. So looking at the pacing within an individual session rather than the overall treatment approach. Um, As you guys can probably notice, I've got a bit of a cold. I'll actually let you in on a little secret. We're recording this immediately after (laughs) the one you just listened to. So we still have that cold. (laughs) Hasn't gone away yet. Go away. Um, We release them every two weeks, but we record a few of them back to back. So I'm still here with allergies or sickness or whatever we want to call it. So um, on to our topic with pacing. Uh, This is, as we mentioned on the last episode, this is something that I feel like a lot of people ask about and how do we know when to move forward and how quickly to move and what does this look like with our clients? So again, the same disclaimer we said before, every client is so individual and so unique that ultimately we have to keep it individualized for them and let them be kind of the the one in the driver's seat of what we need to do. So really being attuned with your clients and responsive to what their needs are and then and monitoring those, they might directly and verbally tell you like, hey, let's move on or I need to slow down. But they also probably have a lot of very subtle signs. So we're going to be monitoring body language, expression, dissociation, um, being stuck in their processing, things like that, that help us know how do we need to um, back down a little bit or keep moving forward. And then, of course, the overarching time frame um, and how the session's going. Mm-hmm. So, Melissa, what initial thoughts do you have just kind of starting in on this? Yeah. So I think, you know, the first thing um, to consider with pacing is, you know, let's say we've you know done all of our preparation and at the last session we said, okay, we're going to reprocess. We're going to do a trauma reprocessing next session. And they come in. The first thing that we're going to do is actually assess for whether it's a good day to do that. Regardless of whether it was the plan or not, we still want to check in with them and make sure that they're feeling up to it, um, that they have the emotional, mental, and physical bandwidth to uh, do whatever the plan was, whatever that target was. For instance, if somebody comes in and they have a cold or they didn't sleep well the night before, Um, or some major thing just happened at work and they're really frazzled, we're going to table our plan to reprocess and attend to what's happening in their life right then. Yeah. Um, Trying to reprocess on a day where somebody really does not feel up to it is just kind of torture for everybody involved. Um, Obviously, there's going to be some times where we might press through some of that, but mostly we're going to ask the client, do you want to do this today? Does it feel like a good day to do it? Now, most of our clients are going to have at least a small, if not really large streak of people pleasing Mm -hmm. in them, and they want to do it because they think that's what we want them to do. So we really need to overemphasize to them that they have nothing to prove in their healing journey. Just because this was our plan does not mean that I'm going to be disappointed in them if they say, I just can't do it today. So we really want to emphasize that to our clients and really check in with them thoroughly about whether today is a good day to do that work. 
Um, another factor that is really relevant here, especially as we've you know been doing some targets and we're kind of in the swing of moving through all of the targets on our treatment plan, we have to remember that our clients sometimes miss us and they miss the talking time, mm-hmm. the connection time. And this can really mess with pacing. So sometimes you'll notice that your clients start to get just a little bit resistant about reprocessing. And if you notice that, we want to attend to it right away. And one of the first things I ask is, do you just want to talk today? Right. And we don't see that as not doing the real work. Maintaining that therapeutic connection with them is essential so that we can keep going Mm -hmm. and doing what we're doing. So I have a lot of clients that, you know, will actually have this conversation and decide together, okay, we're going to reprocess, but the first 20 minutes, we're just going to talk. Or the last 20 minutes, we're just going to talk, whatever it is. Sometimes if, you know, the variables line up to let us do that, longer sessions can be really helpful for this. Two-hour sessions. I love two-hour sessions. It's wonderful because we can have, you know, 30 minutes at the beginning where we can just have normal talk therapy and really maintain that connection. I can get an update and we're not feeling rushed. Um, So that's the factor that we want to consider. Yeah. One thing I've implemented with my clients that has helped in just really determining what sessions we're going to reprocess and which ones we're not is having a conversation, kind of a plan going into it those clients that really have the need to verbally process out mm-hmm. loud and just talk through things. And they'll identify that as one of the biggest pulls for them in therapy is I just want to hear it out loud. I yeah. want to have a way just to say it to someone who's really going to objectively listen. And so we'll determine, you know, in advance, Hey, we're going to try to target or reprocess this target next week or in two weeks We'll kind of gear up for that. And then after we clear that out, we'll go back to one or two sessions where we're just verbally processing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is even though clients are coming in wanting healed in their trauma, there's a lot of times still some resistance to it. And we can get caught in this little loop of if we don't, if processing is kind of could be there, maybe not, they'll come in with something new to talk about each week mm-hmm. as an avoidance of it. Yeah. So... I have a a young lady I've worked with for a little while. When she first came to me, she had a really great therapist she was working with before, um, but she had made the decision to leave that therapist and start working with me because she really wanted to do EMDR therapy. And she'd been in therapy for a few years with different people and had made good progress. But she said at this point, like, I, I need to do my trauma processing. And she said, I get into almost having like friendships with some of what feels like friendships with some of my therapists where we just talk and I get about as much as I can get. And then I feel stagnant. Mm -hmm. And so she, I told her in the very beginning, I said, okay, well, as we're talking about this, this is kind of what starting out processing will look like. And we'll do these certain things. And I want to let you know that I will stay committed to you and keeping trauma processing and EMDR as our focus but I also want to be responsive to you if we ever need to shift directions. And so she's a college student. She got into finals week or two weeks. It was really intense. So she said, I just need to take trauma processing off the table for a mm-hmm. few weeks uh, while I just get through this hard time. So we did. And then I noticed week after week, it came back in and she had like the next thing to talk about <laughs> and the next thing to talk about. And I was able just to tell her, you remember that commitment I made to you when we first started? I want to revisit that. And this is what I've noticed over the last few weeks. 
do we want to stay in this place where we're just kind of processing verbally what's going on? Or do you want to get back into focusing on your trauma? And she goes, well, to be honest, I could probably spend the next month coming up with something to talk to you about every week, but Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. So having those really open, direct conversations and letting them know we can do that other work, but we also want to keep with the focus of her real healing is going to come from the trauma processing. Right. Right. And there is kind of those moments where it's okay to kind of hold our clients accountable to their healing process. Um, always with gentleness and with openness though, what we don't want is to be in a power struggle with our clients. Cause we're always going to lose that. That doesn't yeah. work. Um, so there's kind of that subtle, uh, dance that we do with them and we want to make it as collaborative and always it's their choice that they stay in control and empowered to make those decisions for themselves. But sometimes we do have to remind them, Oh, Hey, there's this other thing that we're, you know, meant to be doing and we've been Mm -hmm. avoiding it for a little while. Uh, how do you feel about getting back to that? Um, so if we do determine that, okay, we're going to reprocess today, today's the day. Um, one of the first things that we're going to do is look at what target we're going to work on And really quickly, this can be super fast, like 30 seconds, just review the resources that we've previously created that we anticipate we might need, right? So if we're working on a childhood abuse memory, maybe we're going to quickly review, remember your calm, safe place, remember your container, remember that protective figure that we installed. Um, Just so that number one, they're kind of top of mind to them. That makes it more likely that they will naturally bring in their own resources It's also helpful for us because I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I forget people's resources. We have a lot of people that we work with and it can be really helpful for us to just really quickly remember, all right, they use that trunk as their container, their calm safe is a beach and grandma Mary is their person, right? So that I feel prepared to use those resources in the midst of reprocessing if we need to. So it's beneficial to both of us. Um, and it can be super fast, but it makes a big difference. The other thing that it does is that it sends the client into the reprocessing experience, feeling more confident, mm-hmm. remembering that we have tools and ways of making sure that they stay safe, that we're committed to their safety in the midst of reprocessing. Yeah. And as we get into the reprocessing, kind of our the balance between pushing on the gas and the brake is going to be the window of tolerance mm-hmm. for that client. So we know that if they're understimulated, we're not going to get into processing. If they're overstimulated, they're going to shut down again. They're going to become too activated and even go into um, like shutdown mode and numbness. And so we want to stay in that middle range where they're appropriately activated to do their processing without it becoming too much. So this would be something you would hopefully have already talked to your client about their window of tolerance and how to know when they're exceeding that and how to communicate that. We've got the stop sign with their hand, the signal that says stop. Um, There's also some other tools, but where they can communicate when they're reaching that and that we're attuned with what those signs are from them. When we start to notice, okay, they're fidgeting with their fingers, they're Mm -hmm. twisting their ring on their Mm -hmm. thumb. They're holding their breath again. Yeah, yeah, these are signs that we're starting to reach that high point in the window. We need to give them some tools to kind of bring it back down and re-regulate. And so that is going to be a great way to pace the session and know, um, do we just keep moving forward or Mm -hmm. do we need to bring in some things to slow down the the pacing? And when all else fails, we ask our client. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if we're working on a really intense target, 
I probably ask the question, are you okay to keep going routinely throughout mm-hmm. that whole process? You know, what are you noticing now? They report it. Are you okay to keep going? Yes. Okay. So just notice all that and we keep going. Yeah. Um, checking in with them that way reminds them that they always have the option of not continuing. Yeah. And invariably, they don't choose to stop, right? Isn't every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, they'll say, okay, I think I've had enough for today. But I'm so glad that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving them that out, reminding them that they have that out is therapeutic on multiple levels and it makes sure that the processing that we're doing does not get overwhelming and that they stay within that window of tolerance. Um, so I do. I ask them, you know, do you want to keep going or do you feel done for yeah. today? I, I ask that a lot. Sometimes when I ask that, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can take that. You know, like they're, <laughs> I, I really want to rescue you're done them. Today. Yeah. I want to rescue them out yeah. and just swoop in and save them. And I ask that and almost every time they're like, no, I want to keep going. I want to keep going. going. Yeah. Because they know that they're, they're going to get through this and they're going right. to get to the other side and feel that relief. Right. Where if we stop right there, um, they might, you know, be relieved in that moment, but they don't get that ultimate relief. Mm -hmm. And especially if we've done targets with them before, they know what's coming. Mm -hmm. They know that a zero is possible and that, you know, that's where we're headed. And so they do, they, they usually choose to keep going. But I think, you know, asking them that question, make sure that they are really clear that they maintain the power and and the choice through the whole process. So another strategy we'll use in pacing the session would be restricting the processing Mm. in some way. So we're going to factor in how much time do we have with this client um, and how I guess, um, complex is this network that we're tapping Mm. into. If we're going into a memory network that clearly has one, two, three memories, it's not going to be as complex, but if we're going into a memory network that, oh my goodness, this could go anywhere. Right. Family of origin stuff. Yeah. If we're working on mom memories or something like Mm -hmm. that, that that is a vast network of memories. (laughs) And so when we, when we determine that we may have to say, we need to restrict this processing because of the amount of time um, so that we can keep up with, you know, the pacing is going to be a productive pace for them. So we can have full reprocessing um, where they can just say, notice that, go with that, whatever comes up, just go with it. That becomes slightly problematic if it's too broad. Mm-hmm. So if we have those family of origin memories or the mom memories, like Melissa was saying, and it's just tapping in from one thing to the next to the next, it's going to feel like very little progress is being made because it's such a broad path they're trying to clear out. So we may need to narrow it down so that in that same amount of time, they're making a little more ground. Um, They're they're getting a little bit further down the path and they can actually feel their progress, which means in later sessions we'll come up, we'll come back and retarget some of those other pieces of it. We don't just leave them forgotten. But we may need to narrow that in a little bit. If our sessions are shorter, if we only have, you know, 50 minutes, even 90 minutes can sometimes feel like it's not long enough for those big targets, we may need to narrow it down. Mm-hmm. Um, versus if you have four or five hours, which may sound totally crazy to some of you, but it's really the direction a lot of EMDR therapy is moving is those intensives then we could be a little bit more broad and allow them to pull in all those other associations mm-hmm. and just go with that. 
So practically, because I remember, you know, a, a long time ago hearing about restricted processing and feeling a little bit confused about how do I do that in mm-hmm. session. So I want to talk about that for just a second. So the one that most of us know and use pretty routinely is container, right? So most of us uh, teach our client a container skill uh, in the preparation phase. You know, they create a box or a trunk or whatever works for them. So one of the options is that when we're doing reprocessing and let's say we're working on a childhood memory and another memory pops in of, oh my gosh, I forgot that this happened and it was awful and et cetera. What we would do in that moment is ask our client, um, do you want to focus on that or do you want to contain that and uh, kind of put that away and come back to it later when we have more time to really focus on it? Um, usually they choose to contain it. Every once in a while, they'll want to. Um, and sometimes we're just going to have to tell our client that based on we don't have enough time or other factors that we're not ready to go down that path. For instance, if you know something really intense should happen, like they realize that they had an abuse event that they had forgotten about, right? A repressed memory kind of situation, which is pretty uncommon, but it does happen occasionally. We would definitely want to contain that because we don't know what that is. We don't know if we have the resources to deal with that yet. We're not going to go down that path. Um, so that would be a moment where we bring in their container and right there in the midst of reprocessing say, okay, so just notice everything associated with that memory that just came up and let it flow into your container. We walk them through that whole process until they feel like it's all in there. And then we take them back to the original target that we were working on and keep going from there. One of the other things that we can do, especially if the container is just not quite getting it, right? Uh, One of the ways that this looks like sometimes is, so we go back to the original target and we try to keep going, but their brain veers down that path again. And that same memory that we just contained pops up again. Um, Now we could try to recontain it, but what I have found to be even more helpful is to build a fence there. So here's what happens. You give your client the analogy of we're trying to to go down one path and your brain is really interested in going down this other path, which makes sense. So the first thing we do is validate how important that must be and say, we're not going to forget that. And I kind of make a production of like, I'm writing this down. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to forget this. We are going to come back to it when we have the time that it deserves. Um, and then you, t- you ask your client to visualize in their mind that we're walking down this path and now we're going to build a fence or a barrier of some kind in front of that other path. And I've had people get really elaborate and creative because clients are interesting like that. They, you know, will add a bodyguard or guard dogs or, you know, bowling bumper. Yeah, (laughs) bowling bumper. That's an interesting one. All kinds of different things um, to to internally visualize uh, that we're not going down that path today. So that is another option. We, We can do containment. We can build a fence in front of that path. Um, a really simple one, the one that we use, you know, all the time would be that reboot question of just bringing them back to the Mm -hmm. target. Sometimes that's enough, especially if it's just kind of a small distracting thing, you know, not a big new memory or something like that. Sometimes it's enough to just say, okay, go back to that original memory, what comes up now and we continue. You know, that you mentioned writing it down and making that really be a known thing. I found that that alone is oftentimes enough for clients to be able to say, okay, I don't need this right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm trusting that Jen's got it on her paper and on her list of things 
because the reason the brain keeps throwing it out there is, is it saying, Hey, I need healing from this right. too. Like this hurts. This right. is still there. Take this thorn out, mm-hmm. um, and drawing attention to it. And so by simply validating and recognizing it, adding it to that list of things we need to revisit. And Melissa, I love how you said when we have the time to mm-hmm. give it the attention it deserves, mm-hmm. um, we'll give them that feeling of, okay, I don't have to keep pulling that up on a subconscious level. Right. Right. Yeah, and um, I that that whole building fences thing is way more effective than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes we worry that you know this thing is just not going to get contained because it's so big or whatever. But what I found is if we just keep adding things and let their their own mind be creative, so we give the suggestion of let's build a barrier there, but then give them the autonomy autonomy to make it whatever's going to work for them. Um, I've had somebody put Thor with his giant hammer in front of that, you know, all kinds of different stuff. Um, because that, that means that their system is going to accept that, uh, much more easily than if we're the one telling them what to build there. We're going to use this really often when we're doing those test balloon targets that we talked about last episode or the low impact targets. We want to, you know, keep those, um, focused on those small things. I had a consultee share a perfect example just this last week where she was choosing a small target to do with her client. And it was about a school related, um, kid laughing at her, picking on her pretty small. Um, and the original sub level was at like a three or a four. And as she got into process that all of this emotion came up because it then opened up this channel that said, but my parents weren't there to protect mm-hmm. me from bullying. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever went to the teacher about it. And so this one target that was related to school opened up a whole new channel. And in that, it was not beneficial in the pacing for the therapist with the client to let it go there. Right. That wasn't going to meet the purpose of the target she was working on. So restricting that, containing that, refocusing back on the experience. And I usually will ask the client, does it feel okay to you? Do you feel like you would be able to put that stuff related to family in your container? And just for today, focus on the target with school, mm-hmm. with the boy in school. Um, does your brain feel like it would let you do that? And usually, you know, they, they say yes, and we're able to do that and actually clear out that target because we've restricted it and then making note to go, of course, we need to address the things with family, but when they're more ready for that. Right. Yeah, that, that's another good point. Sometimes people will want to make a separate container, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So if, you know, their previous container was for general distress and things like that, sometimes when a new memory or a new realization that is distressing to them pops up, it almost doesn't feel right for them to put it into the container that they created before. So pretty routinely, I'll have somebody say, uh, can I make a different one? And yeah, we can absolutely make a different one. One that is going to feel right um, and useful for whatever that new distress is that's popping up. And it also gives them that power of separation, right, to, to help them realize, oh, I can contain this material, right? I don't have to feel the overwhelming distress of it um, until I'm really ready to. And so it gives them some some power and control that's really useful as well. But if somebody wants to rebuild their container or just make a new one, go ahead and let them right mm-hmm. there in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to talk just briefly about when we get into a target, 
and we're starting to process. And for whatever reason it may be, whether it's the timing or the client's lack of response to the processing, we determine, hey, we need to kind of forego this processing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, part of figuring our pacing. Like, do we keep pushing through and keep saying no to that and keep bringing in interweaves and trying to get them through this? Or to at what point do we say, okay, this is not going to be a successful processing today? And it may be some external factors. It may be that they need more preparation to feel ready to go into that. But just because we start a target doesn't mean we have to stick with it until the very, very end. We do have to get to the end for it to be considered complete and for that to really be resolved. But there have been cases where we're mid-session and I'm thinking, this isn't quite going mm-hmm. how I planned. Mm-hmm. Um, or that sub is like not to. coming down as quickly as we want it. Yeah. Or in it, it can be, you know, oh my gosh, they just have a headache and they thought they could do it, but they're getting in it and they can't. Or, oh, there's some major construction going on outside my window and we just can't get in the moment. Or it can be they're just really stuck and they're not responding to any of the interweaves. If you're a new therapist, um, EMDR therapist, and are experiencing this, this does not mean, oh gosh, I'm failing at this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do EMDR. It also doesn't mean that EMDR doesn't work for that client. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what we hear on our consultation calls a lot of these certain sessions. And it's okay to get to that point and say, hey, uh, in our our own mind, we're going to jump ship here. Like this isn't where we need to be right now. Let's not beat our head against this particular wall. Yes. And it doesn't have to be a big production of, well, I guess this won't work. We don't need to do this today. But we can kind of gradually ease out of it and and start to turn it into more of a talk therapy processing Mm -hmm. session about that and more of an exploration of what is it that we're needing to be successful in this? What other preparation and tools do we need to tap into in the sessions to come? Um, What could be causing some of those barriers? So... We don't have to, you know, label this as a failure, unsuccessful, but more of just an opportunity to change directions. Mm-hmm. Usually, if I do that in a session, I uh, like to say something to signal to them that this target isn't done, that we are going to come back and do more on it uh, so that they kind of understand where we are. And um, that can be something really simple, like, I feel like we have identified. Um, some things that are going to really help us when we reprocess this more next time, right? Just, you know, to kind of really naturally signal to them, hey, this isn't done and we're going to do more. Um, and even make it a positive thing like, I think it's going to go better next time because we've identified some really important things to just kind of leave that on a positive note. And uh, one of our biggest determining factors of our pacing is the clock. Right. <laughs> That's the, in regular um, therapy sessions, whatever it is, it's the clock is going to determine our pacing a lot. So we want to um, be able to offer the client breaks as they need it. Mm-hmm. So if they're getting overactivated, we can bring in those breaks. We can, like we just mentioned, determine that we're just going to be done for today where we're at. Um, but also starting to shift the the pace and how we are interacting with the client and their processing based on where we're at in our timing. So I always try to leave about 10 minutes at the end of the session for a wrap up. But as I start getting close to that point on the clock, my interweaves are going to increase if needed. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I'm like, wow, we're really far from getting to a complete place. Right. And we're actually at a place of distress. 
So I'm going to increase my interweaves if I notice that we are getting close to the end of the session and they're still in a point of high disturbance um, or we're not really getting close to a wrap-up point or a complete session. And I'll get that feeling and so I'll become a little bit more involved, not with the understanding that this is fully clearing out the trauma, but more with the understanding I want them to end the session in a good place and mm-hmm. in a more regulated place. And so if I do that, when we come back, I'm still going to, like the next week, I'm still going to say, as you bring up that original target, what do you get now? What comes up now? Right. What's left? And that's going to help us to know that those might have just been strategies that get them in a place of state change, right? get them in a place where they're more regulated to leave, but may not have done the real trauma work, that trait change work. So if I bring those in, it doesn't mean, hey, we've cleared it, we're complete, we're done. But it's more of we're still going to check back with the original target before we determine it to be a complete session. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, their brain will keep reprocessing after a session. And so when we do that reevaluation, the distress is gone and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. But we never want to assume that just because they were in a good place at the end of last session that, you know, we're done. Um, so yeah, we're going to use the same process that we would to double check and make sure that we're, we're where we want to be. Um, and yeah, that, that rule of 10 minutes for wrap up there, it's not actually a rule. It's just kind of a general, um, finding for, for people that most people, 10 minutes is a, a good enough amount of time to feel like they've, you know, shifted out of reprocessing mode. They're, you know, back in their prefrontal cortex. They're ready to drive. They're ready to go back to work. Um, and 10 minutes is usually a good amount of time to do that. Sometimes people need more. And if we're consistently noticing that we're not getting our clients back to that really grounded state within that 10 minute window, we may need to move that back a little bit. So we want to be responsive to that. Um, and that really is another reason why a lot of people like having more time for EMDR sessions. Um, both Jen and I are really moving to doing intensives, which I love intensives. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful because you get so much more done in such a short amount of time. Um, so that's another, another reason why people are moving in that direction. In that, that 10 minutes where we're wrapping up or 15, however much your client needs, we can kind of just, we don't want to dive into talking about everything we just processed and like taking them back or entertaining our own curiosity of, you know, you switched really quickly here. What was going on there? But we can kind of recap the session in the way of just, wow, you've done really great work today. And sometimes our clients want to just verbally process like, oh my goodness, I went Mm -hmm. from this and this came out of nowhere and I wasn't expecting it, but I really feel good. And so allowing them to just to kind of um, process and recap in whatever way they need, keeping it brief and not diving into the trauma pieces of it again. Right talking about how we're going to move forward, what's our next week going to look like, what kind of things can they do to help regulate between sessions. So it just gives us a a brief moment to capture all of those important aspects Mm -hmm. in between sessions. Yeah. And leave a moment for reconnection with our clients. Yeah. Because they've been, you know, doing that heavy duty work. And so making sure that therapeutically our relationship is um, at a moment of connection when they walk out the door, I think is really important as well. All right, guys. So those are most of our thoughts about how to pace a session. Um, And if you have any questions or any thoughts about pacing a session and how to do that well, 
uh, leave us a comment or send us a message on Facebook or send us an email um, because we like to know uh, what skills and tools you guys have found that are really helpful for you because we still are, are learning also. So thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time. Thank you.